Good evening, everybody. Uh, so good to see your guys' faces here in this room. It's it's pretty cold. <laughs> it's pretty cold outside, right? Um, man, it's the end of the semester. I don't know if you guys felt that it was long or short or whatnot, um, but I've been having a blessed time and an amazing time with you guys. Um, and I hear so many good things uh, about you guys and from our small group leaders, actually. Uh, I don't lead a small group, but I, um, I hear a lot of great things about how sweet it's been. Uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying and were blessed by what God's been doing in your small groups. right? And uh, can I just ask if you're leading a small group here, can you stand up? Leading a small group or co-leading a small group, can you all stand up, please? And for those of you in a small group, if you are blessed by them, can you just express your gratitude or appreciation for, you know, their service? Come on, that's weak, y'all. Y'all ain't thankful, are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just so thankful for them. Uh, one of my highlights is to do ministry with them. Uh, they're, they're such a great group of people. And... Um, you know, I just want to encourage you guys here. If you are blessed in your small groups, uh, these are uh, people that uh, sacrifice. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure that this semester they will call it much of a sacrifice, though, because they tell me how much they enjoy it. And they enjoy your presence and being with you guys, getting to know, know you guys and hearing your stories. And, uh, yeah, feel free to I want to encourage you to uh, live a life where you live in a culture of honor, right? Live a life where you live in a culture of uh, expressing your gratitude, not just to God, but uh, showing your appreciation. And um, yeah, show some appreciation for your small group leaders. Some of them, I don't know, they like gifts, right? Some of them, they like words of, uh, words of affirmation, right? Some of them, they like touch, so give them a hug. I don't know. Right? David Gavin, right? <laughs> no, it's fine. But um, feel free to do that. I want to get into today... Um, we're going to get into the message, and I was asking God, God, it's the last large group, and uh, we're parting ways, and we go through this every semester. This is like, this is like my third year doing this, meeting a new batch of students and getting to know them, and then sending them off, right? And so uh, today, uh, I'm excited because I'm actually going to preach from one of my uh, favorite passages. Uh, I'm going to be preaching one of my favorite topics and messages today. And the title of the sermon today is Take Me Deeper, right? Take Me Deeper. Uh, if you're taking notes, that's the title. Um, but if you're not taking notes, uh, I want to ask you guys to take out your phones right now. I want to do a little activity to start off, right? And open up your notes. Open up your notes. I'm going to ask, ask you guys some questions, right? And I want, I'm going to give you guys two minutes to write it down just to get you guys thinking, right? And it's a question that God asked me earlier in this semester. And it's a question that I passed on. I, I asked some of our, I met with some leaders when I meet with them one-on-one. I've been asking them this question. Not all y'all, but some of y'all, right? I asked this question, and it's this. What kind of Christian do you envision yourself to be 10 years from now? Okay. 
I'm going to ask that again. 10 years from now, so how old are you right now? You're like 19, 20, 21, right? When you're like 29, 30, 31, right? In my case, when I'm 40 something, right? 10 years from now, what kind of Christian do you envision yourself being? What do you see yourself doing? What do you see yourself being like, right? Be as specific as possible, right? Um, Basically, what I'm asking is, do you have a vision for yourself? Right? Do you have a vision for your life? A vision for yourself? Right? Um, it's like, I'll just give you a minute to do that real quick. Right? A minute or two. Just really think about it. What kind of Christian do you aspire to be? Right, just give you a couple... Couple minutes. Maybe some of you guys. I see myself as a missionary uh, to an unreached people group. Maybe some of you guys, I see myself holding the mic and preaching the word of God with fire. Right? Maybe some of you guys, I, I see myself doing life with the homeless. Or I see myself uh, in the business sphere. And I see myself mentoring key CEOs and leaders. Right? I see myself being a good father, a good mother. A good husband, a good wife, right? Uh, you know, if we had more time, I would love for us to share with each other. But we don't have a lot of time because I talk a lot. <laughs> I'm going to take up all that time, all right? <laughs> and it's like this. I want to encourage you guys to do something tonight, sometime this week. And there's this thing called a time capsule. <laughs> you guys know what a time capsule is, right? A capsule letter. Right, And I want you to answer this question as a prayer to God. God, 10 years from now, I would love to be a Christian that looks like this. Right? I want you to write that down. 10 years from now, 5 years from now, whatever you want to do. And I want you to put it in an envelope. Right? And I want you to hide it somewhere. Right? And then, you know, years down the line when you open it, you know... You'll see how faithful God is. You'll see how faithful God is. I'm going to go back to that question. Do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for your life? Because you know what? Most people, most young people, don't. Most people kind of live, there's a phrase called, you just go with the flow. Right? Most people, we find ourselves living a pretty passive life actually if you grow up in the church especially like myself I catch myself by going with the program going with the system going with how things are right and I, I, I find myself like man when God asked me that question I was like man I need to ask myself that question a lot more like what's the vision for my life right and after I was reflecting on this question, 
There's an answer that I was meditating on. The answer is this. Our vision is Christ. Our vision is Jesus Christ. Actually, our vision, the answers that you wrote down. I hope that those answers that you wrote down. Remember I asked you, what do you, what do you see yourself doing? And what do you see yourself being like? I hope the answers that you wrote down look like Christ. Right? Because the vision and purpose for our life is actually Christ-likeness. To do the things that Christ did and to be who He is, be like who He is. Amen? Right? And you know, it's like, I like how Chris Valentin said it. He said this quote, he said, God is the painter, you are the canvas, and Jesus is the model. Right? He said, God is the painter, you are the canvas, and Jesus is the model. You know what Christ, you know what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life? Do you know what God's doing in your life? Whether you feel it or not, Holy Spirit is in you to make you more like Christ. Amen? And when you submit your minds, when you submit your vision and your desires... In a sense, if you, when you die to yourself, right? When you abandon yourself, picture baptism. When you go in the water, right? Dead to self and you come back alive in Christ. New creation. That new creation life, it's Christ. Amen? So, with that said, let's turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47. Turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47. Are you guys hot? No? I, I saw more no's, so we'll keep it. <laughs> Ezekiel, chapter 47, verse 1 through 12. Feel free to look in the table of contents. It's all good. <laughs> Ezekiel, chapter 47, 1 through 12. And before I read this passage, let me give a little bit of context. This is what's going on. There's this prophet by the name of Ezekiel, right? And there's a prophet in this nation, in this people group called the Israelites, God's people, right? And what's happening is these Israelites, they're going through a time of confusion. They're going through a time of desperation. They're going through a time of suffering and persecution and discombobulation. Why? I never use that word. I don't know why is that right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I just want to sound smart, all right? So they're going through this time. It's because of these people called the Babylonians have taken them under captive. In a sense, they're back in slavery under these people, right? And they're going through this time, and the Babylonians, they have come through, and they have destroyed the representation of God's presence with them, which is the temple. The temple was where the presence of God, the manifest presence of God dwelt as a sign of God being with them, that God is for them. We sang it, go before us, go behind us. He's with the favor of the Lord, is upon the people. But now the temple has been destroyed by the Babylonians and then they're under captive persecution. Now everybody's confused. That's the situation right now. And then here's Ezekiel. And then God gives Ezekiel, the prophet, this crazy 
um, uh, graphic and beautiful vision, which we're going to read right now. All right. So I want you to open up your mind's eye, open up your mind's canvas. And as I read this passage, as we read it together, I want, I want you to paint it in your mind. Imagine what it looks like. All right. You guys ready? Okay. <laughs> the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. All right. So this man goes up to Ezekiel. This man says, follow me, okay? This man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple to where the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As a man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. It's about three miles, right? And then led me through water that was ankle deep. Verse 4, he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. Verse 7, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. Excuse me. He, saw, he said to me, the water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Araba, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Verse 10. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Enenglam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Amen. You guys got the picture in your head? It's kind of confusing, right? Like what is this passage talking about? It's some graphic vision. It's a very detailed vision that God gives Ezekiel. And let me, let me walk you through. This passage, I love this passage. And you'll, see, you'll soon see why. But let me just describe to you setting. This mysterious guy, he goes up to Ezekiel and says, Hey, come, let me, i got to show you something. Follow me. Right? And so this mysterious guy, he leads them to, it says, he leads them to the temple of God. A temple. Remember, remember what's going on in context. Remember the temple has been destroyed. The representation of their hope, right? And this man shows Ezekiel this temple. And then, and then he says, look here. 
And at the bottom of the temple flow, trickled a little stream of water. Everyone say little stream. Right? And this little stream of water, it grows bigger and bigger and bigger, and it turns into a river going this way. It turns into a river, and then this man describes how this water that flows from the temple goes straight, creates a huge river, and it touches what a body of water called the Araba. The Araba there is today, is known as the Dead Sea. And in this vision, this fresh water that flows from this temple, it goes all the way to the Araba. It's called the Dead Sea because it's still dead today because it's so saline concentrated. There's nothing that can live in that water. No fish living in that water. But in this vision, this fresh water is touching that Dead Sea water, transforming that Dead Sea water, and then there's so many fish in there now. This is a crazy vision, right? What else do you see in this vision is this. It says this. The both banks of the river. Right here and right here. It says on both banks of the river, the further away from the temple, the further, the more the river got bigger on both banks of the river, there were so many trees. All these types, types of fruit trees. Luscious, fruitfulness, life. And it said that fishermen were at the end over there catching so many fish because the river and that sea was filled with so much life. Now you see it, right? You guys are with me in this setting. Teeming with life. And then all of a sudden, this man, he says to Ezekiel, Hey, follow me. Come here. And this mysterious man goes into the water. And with you, when you read the passage, he goes into the water. How, how, how many, how much does he measure off? A thousand cubits, about three miles. He goes, and it says that the water is how deep? It's ankle deep. Getting his feet wet a little bit. He says, hey, Ezekiel, come here, come here, come follow me. And Ezekiel, he, he comes and follows him. He goes up to him. He gets face to face. And I'm here. Right when he gets face to face. And he says, what does he do? He measures off another thousand cubits. And he goes deeper. Now, he follows him. Now, how far? Now, where's the water? Up to his knees. Right? And he does the same thing. Another thousand cubits. And he follows him. And then how, how deep is he now? Waist deep. And he measures off another thousand cubits and he follows him and it gets so deep it says that he couldn't even, you know, he had to swim. Right? Now this picture, this vision is so powerful. It's so interesting. And I love this because this passage really describes and it really maps out my life. This passage that I hold dear to my heart because when I, read, when I read this passage many years ago, I began to understand God's fingerprints in my life. When I read this passage so many years ago, I felt like God was asking me this question. God was asking me this question. He said, how deep, John, John, how deep is your faith? How deep is your faith? How deep is your trust in me? 
And that's what I want to ask you guys today as well. How deep, what's the level of depth of your faith? How deep is your trust in the Lord? Like we were singing. We sing this every, we sing like trust songs all day, every day, you know? How deep is our trust in Him? I felt like God was asking me this question. Right? You know, everyone say the word disciple. Disciple, right? You know, whenever Jesus taught, there were three types of people that Jesus was speaking to. First, it was the disciples. The disciples were those who were students of Jesus. The disciples were those who followed Jesus wherever they went. Second type of people was the crowd. Now, the crowd was the majority. The crowds were the people that always followed Jesus around everywhere, but they were only there to be entertained. They're only there because they wondered who this Jesus was, and they just wanted to see him do his miracles. There's a difference between the crowd and the disciples, right? The third type of people, you know who they were? They were known as the Pharisees. The wannabe believers, right? The Pharisees were the the hypocritical, right? Now, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, when you read Jesus' teaching, you got to think that he's speaking to all these three types of people in different sections of the Bible, right? But when we read what Jesus is teaching, guess what? You and I, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we're not always like a disciple. We're not always... We're either like a disciple or we're like a crowd who wants to be entertained and just receive or we're like a Pharisee where we get legalistic. In different stages of our lives, whether we know it or not, we check our hearts and man, I tell you, man, even for myself, I've been a pastor for years now, not that long, but even even in the past five years, I find myself like coasting sometimes and being like just someone in the crowd, just like wanting to be entertained And guess what? Us young people here, yes, us young people here, right? Guess what? We live in a society where it's so entertainment driven, isn't it? We live in a society, we even even in the church. If it doesn't sound like this, if the worship music isn't by Hillsong or Bethel, I cannot worship God. We don't worship God. It's got to be a certain atmosphere. If the speaker is not like this, if he doesn't speak my preference of style, then you know what? I can't listen to him. You know what I'm saying? Our generation, when we go church shopping, what, what, we look at this criteria. And then, you know, we, we don't even know it. And then we find ourselves just being just like the crowd. I just want to listen to a good speech. By Jesus. And I'll. I'd like to see some miracles. But a disciple. They partake in the miracles. They obey the teachings. They have a lot of action in their lives. I find myself. Being like the crowds all the time. And then in moments I. You know. I feel like a Pharisee all the time as well. There's moments I. Get into that mode. You know, these are the types of people that Jesus is addressing. And we have all three in all of us. Right? 
So a disciple, if you are a believer in Christ, we are called to be followers of Christ. And the key to being a disciple, right, is joyful obedience. Joyful, not just obedience, like the Pharisees obeyed in a sense, but joyful obedience, like from love. You know what I'm saying? That's a disciple. There is no discipleship. We can't call ourselves disciples of Jesus if there's no submission, if there's no obedience to the things that he teaches. We can't call ourselves disciples of Christ if the things that we listed of our vision for ourselves don't align with who he is and what he does. Right? When we truly follow Christ, he deepens our faith. He says, just like the man said to Ezekiel, hey, follow me. So I said, okay, God, I want to be your disciple. And then God took me on this journey. Check this out. Some of y'all can relate. Here we go. I went to a conference, and this guy said this one quote, right? This guy said this one quote that sticks to me, stick with me, sticks with me till this date. And I want to share this quote with you. It's the most practical quote, the most practical advice ever. And for those who are graduating, for those who are leaving, please remember this. For those who are being sent off into back home, please remember. Everybody remember this, all right? He said this, find out what's important to God. And make it important to you. Very simple. Here's discipleship. Find out what's important to God. And make it important to you. When I first heard this. When I first heard this. Any opportunity that came up. I wanted to follow him. I wanted to say yes Lord. I wanted to obey. I wanted to do the things that Jesus did, and I wanted to be like him. So, now, I'm a senior in high school, right? I'm a senior in high school, and up until now, as a churchgoer, right, I'm someone who is just like the crowds. It's just like the crowds, wanting to be entertained, wanting to go to church for, uh, you know, reasons other than Jesus, right? I'm just like the crowds, senior in high school, and then all of a sudden, I hear... This sermon, I hear, you know, find out what's important to God. I, I figure out that discipleship is important to God. So as a senior in high school in my youth group, uh, I go up to my pastor and I said, Pastor, there's no, there's no um, men's small group here. There's no small group at all. Uh, can, I, can I lead one at my house? Right? So I went up to my pastor. I was like, hey, there's about 10 guys here. Uh, can I just meet weekly at my house? And here's a senior in youth group. And my pastor, like, you know, if you're a pastor and you get someone in your youth group to come up to you and say, can I lead a small group and host it at my house? You know, that's kind of a big deal, right? I'm not trying, okay. This is awkward, right? (laughs) Anyway, that's what I did, right? I named it BIC, Brothers in Christ, right? (laughs) Super lame, right? Okay, now, here's the thing. I did this thing, guess what? Every single week for a year, for a year straight, every single Saturday, we met. I asked my mom to cook for us, right? And then we just met. Now, I had never been a leader ever in my life before that. I had no idea what I was doing. Here's what Saturdays looked like. Hey, guys, let's just read, uh, let's just open this passage. We read it together. What do you guys think? Okay. I don't know either. 
All right, let's move on to uh, accountability. How many times did you guys sin this week? Did you guys watch porn? Yes. Like, oh, it's me too. It's okay. Oh man. All right, let's pray. All right, that lasted about like 15 minutes. All that. The rest of the three hours, we would play Super, Super Smash Brothers and just play video games. Every week we did that. I had no idea what I was doing. Right? And that was Brothers in Christ. That was the first time I stepped into leadership. My senior year, senior year in high school, my pastor noticed me. And then he started discipling me. And he started saying, hey, John, we're going on a mission trip to Kensington, inner city Philadelphia. It's a very ghetto area. I want you to come on the trip. And when he asked me that, as a senior in high school, you know what I felt in my heart? I felt this crazy, like, uncomfortable tension in my heart. Because at that time, I'm like, mission trip? I'm not ready to go on a mission trip. And there was a crazy tension in my heart. But I knew in the Bible, missions was important to God. So I said yes, and I got over it, and I went on this mission trip. Changed my life. It was my doorway into this whole world of missions. Changed my life. I loved it. It's the first time that we got to reach out to prostitutes. We got to reach out to drug dealers. You know, (laughs) we got to reach out to all these people. For the first time, my eyes opened. And for the first time, I started feeling my heart, feeling God's heart for the community. Right? That's my senior year in high school. Later that summer, because right, I was a winner. Later that summer, my pastor comes up to me and says, Hey, I want you to go as a co-leader, right? I want you to go as like the, the student leader to a mission trip to overseas, to Dominican Republic. When he asked me that, guess what I felt in my heart? I felt, I felt that, that uncomfortable fear, that tension in my heart. I was like, no, you know, I can go. I can just, I'll just do Kensington, Philly. I don't think I'm ready for this. I don't think I can do this. But I ended up going anyways. And my life transformed. This first time I went overseas to another country, right? And my heart began to grow. And guess what happened? I began to know God's heart a little bit more. I began to understand, okay, I guess these things are important to God. I should make these things important to me. All right? Finally, I get into university. It's my first year in college. You know, I serve my heart out in youth group. When I get to college ministry, uh, back in, uh, when I'm in college, I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to receive. I get there, right? I'm praying, and I'm just like worshiping in my room. And the leader of the campus ministry at that time is called ACF, Agape Christian Fellowship. I, this guy comes up to me, hey, you can play guitar. Hey, we have a prayer meeting. Can you, can you lead worship? I've never led worship in my life. At that time, I was actually just learning chords. G, C, D, E minor, right? When he asked me that question, what happened in my heart? That tension. I was like, oh, the, do you guys know what I'm talking about? That tension? It's like, oh. I ended up doing it, right? My voice cracked so many times. You know, I led worship, but I did it. A couple months later, they asked me, hey, we actually need a worship leader to lead our fellowship every week. And 
tension in my heart. But I knew Holy Spirit was leading this. And I was like, yes, Lord. And I started doing it. I started leading worship. That's why I started leading worship. I had no idea what I was doing. A couple months later, the, the, the staff comes up to me. Okay, by this time, I'm a freshman, all right? I'm a first year in college. First year in university, okay? I'm leading worship for college fellowship. And then this guy asked me, can you also lead a small group? Tension comes again. Even, like, I say yes. And then I lead small group. And I do a really bad job. You don't want to hear the story and the model of how I led small group. Some of you guys know. It's grievous. It's grievous, right? You know what hookah is? Like smoking hookah? I used to have a hookah, like, bong. And just to get the guys to come out to my small group, I, I said, it's hookah night. So we would read the Bible and do hookah. And I was like, don't, don't listen to me, right? I had no idea what I was doing. I led small group, all right? The following year, my sophomore year, my, who, who's the second year here in university? All right, second year in university, the guy comes up to me. He said, hey, I feel like, I feel like you should try doing something more. Can you be the small group coordinator? Which is a small group leader for all the small group leaders. And I was, there is so much fear in my heart. I was like, I'm not qualified. I can't do this. I have no idea what I'm doing. Why are you asking me? I'm so busy. This tension just began to intensify. And then yes, I ended up doing it. Right? Later on, opportunity comes up. Hey, can you lead a mission trip? as a team leader, to Camden, New Jersey. Same thing, tension. Boom, I did it. A year later, opportunity arises. Hey, there's this mission opportunity to go to Gambia, West Africa. That tension in my heart again. But I went and did it. Five times I went to Gambia. Later on, opportunity comes. The missionary asked me, how would you like to come here for a year and a half as a missionary? You best believe that tension was so strong in my heart. But I said yes. You get the pattern? And, and, and God's led me after that. John, I, go, I want you to go to seminary. That tension in my heart again. That fear, that uncomfortable feeling. But yes, Lord. I went to seminary. John, I want you to become campus director of Emmaus. Tension in my heart. You see this journey in my life? Why am I sharing? I'm not sharing all this to boast about my ministry, ministry uh, resume or whatever. I'm saying this. Every single step and thing I obeyed, I saw it as another thousand cubits of going deeper with God. When he first asked, asked me to lead a Bible study, I was getting my feet wet. Now I was stepping away from just being a crowd now stepping into a life of a disciple. Remember joyful obedience, right? And how deep was my faith? At that time, it was ankle deep. And then God keeps leading me thousand cubits at a time. I want you to lead worship. He says, follow me. I obey. I go deeper. I go deeper. Another thousand cubits. I want you to lead this mission team. Another thousand cubits. I want you to go on missions for a year and a half. A thousand cubits deeper. And I find my faith getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And at the same time, guess what's happening? I'm getting to know God's heart deeper, deeper, 
and deeper. How many of you guys have prayed that prayer? God, I want to know you more. God, I want to know your heart. God, I want to know you. I want to know your heart. And can I just share with you guys something? If you really want to get to know him and go deeper into his heart, it won't happen just by knowledge of reading the Bible. It'll happen thousand cubits at a time. Obedience after obedience after obedience of the opportunities that God presents before you. Amen? Every time, I promise you this, every time I've taken steps to obey God, I testify you to you that I have known God a little bit more. I've known God a little bit more. And so, the temple represents the presence of God, intimacy, relationship, source of life. And this is an image of, you know, kind of an image of what the picture looks like. Right here? I go through, okay. Let's kind of ghetto. Let's kind of ghetto, right? <laughs> so, you know, every time I take a thousand cubits at a time, obedience, there's another word for this when it comes to being a disciple. And this word is called lordship. Everyone say lordship. Lord, right? Jesus is my savior and he's also my lord. I love my savior because he saved me. Everyone loves savior. But lord my king, my master, that's another story because I got to change some stuff in my life. I got to die, die to my, I got to carry my cross. I got to enter realms where it's not comfortable. I have to abandon convenience. Do we really want Jesus as a Lord of our lives? Because we will all say yes and amen, Jesus be my savior. Because it has to do with me. Right? Right? Lordship is this. Simple definition. Anything, anytime, anywhere, yes, Lord. That's Lordship. God, anything, anytime, anywhere, yes, Lord. Thousand cubits at a time. Thousand cubits at a time. In order to go deeper, you must go further. Because remember... Faith without action is dead, says James, right? I want to point out a couple of things. And this is really cool, right? In this vision, this man, he kept going a thousand cubits at a time. He did not backtrack. He didn't backslide. He didn't back, backtrack. And you know what I love about God as the author and perfecter of our faith? You know what I love, absolutely love about God is this. The man, he told Ezekiel, come a thousand cubits. And he went a thousand cubits. But you know what? I love how God invites us a thousand cubits at a time, not five thousand cubits at a time. What I mean is this. From the beginning, if God asked me to lead a mission team, at that time when, when my faith was so like a baby, I, he knows, he, God knows that I would have said no. God knows that I would have said no. So he didn't present 5,000 cubits and follow me. As a good shepherd, he says 1,000 cubits. Just lead this song once. Just lead this small group once. For some of you guys, just lead 
this small group. Become a student leader. Because if I say to some of you guys, you know, would you ever go to, you know, the Middle East to be a missionary there for 10 years? It's more than attention in my heart. You know what I mean? What I love about God is this. He leads us thousand cubits at a time and he knows exactly how to lead you. Where it's not too overwhelming, but at the same time, there's an opportunity for faith. And that tension in our hearts, it's an invitation to follow Jesus and know him more. Amen? Right? I love this. You see, now where I am right now, when I look back, when I look back and I look and I think about leading worship, when I think about leading a small group, when I think about being a small coordinator, going on mission trips, when I look back, I no longer feel that tension. When I look back on those things, I don't feel that fear anymore. I'm not intimidated by those things anymore. And I look back and I praise God. I'm like, God, you're the one who led me here. You're the one who led me here. And so examine your hearts. Examine your lives. What are the things that brings tension in your heart? And examine your life. How far and how, how far have you followed Jesus? And when, is there something to look back on? Where you're like, thank you God that you led me this far. Right? You see, the deeper into the water you go, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. And it gets to that point. Listen to this, all right? It gets to that point where in our journey, in our walks with the Lord, there's that point in life where it's that thousand cubits where now you got to go all in. Now you got to go all in where, to the point where you're so deep into the waters that you have to let go of what? Control. You see, there comes a point in our lives where we follow Jesus. You know, some of us, we can follow Jesus up to the point where we still have control over our lives. You know that, right? We can follow Jesus up to the point where it's still convenient for me. I'm just obeying the Bible. Yeah, I have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I get, I get to know his heart more. But there comes a point in our lives where you're standing at that line and you're saying, Will I let go of full control of my life? And trust in the one, right, who sleeps in storms. Will I let go and let the water just carry me? Really believing and trusting that God is good. Really believing and trusting that I can let go. Because still, like the song says, the wind and the waves, they know his name still. I want to share a quick testimony. When I was in Africa, I was at the beach. And what are those floating noodle things? Like floating noodle. Let's call it floating noodle, right? I was on that thing, right, with uh, three of our orphanage boys, right? I was on that thing, three of our orphanage boys, and we we're floating on that thing, and none of them know how to swim. And guess what happened? We got caught in a riptide. We got caught in a riptide, and we went so far out, right, that I couldn't even, like, everyone looked like dots. We were so far out. 
And we were, I kept teaching that, I kept telling them, look, paddle your legs, paddle, like, like, kick your legs as hard as you can. Let's keep doing it. We were doing it for like 20, 30 minutes to the point where we're all cramping. Even I was panicking. I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to, what's, what's going to happen? And guess what? These three boys, they're crying. They're death, they're scared for their life. They're crying. They don't know how to swim. We're so far out and I'm cramped up. I don't know what to do. I was scared. So what else do we do? We prayed. All right, guys, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray together. And I've never seen them pray more passionately in my, in my life, right? <laughs> we prayed, Lord, take us to shore. Lord, save us. Because we can do anything. And I kid you not, guess what happened? Three ginormous waves came, and we didn't do anything. We found ourselves on shore. That was like the craziest nature, one of the craziest nature miracles I've ever experienced in my life. We literally saw the wave coming and push us. And those three boys, they ran to the sand and they were weeping. They got on their knees and they were weeping, weeping, weeping. And that night we went to worship service. They went up to the front of the stage and said, I want to testify something. And that God is real. Like he said, and I was, I was amazed. I was like, wow. Seriously, we read the stories. Jesus who sleeps in the storms, right? And do we really believe that if our, in, our, in our own lives, right? Do we believe, do you believe that Jesus is trustworthy? That you can trust him? That you can let go? That you can go deep and let go of control over your own life? Control prevents lordship. Control prevents us from knowing him more. All right. So where are you guys? Where are you guys? Where is your faith? Examine your life. Examine your hearts. Is your faith ankle deep? Because when when our faith is ankle deep or knee deep, or even waist deep. You know what we can do? We have so much control that we can go backwards. We have so much control that we could just go sideways. But we also have control and to that choice where we can move forward and let go of that control. For some of us, maybe where you are right now in your faith, maybe you've been just going sideways. I'll serve up to this point, right? Maybe some of you guys going backwards for some reason. Right? I want to share another thing out of this passage, and this is probably my favorite part, and it's this. Another aspect to this vision that is so powerful, right? Another aspect to this vision that's so powerful is that the water flows from the temple and ends up touching the Dead Sea. And I explained earlier that that water, when it touches the Dead Sea, it transforms. It says the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there, makes the salt water fresh. In this vision, we see the river from this temple touching the sea, transforming this water, right? And you know what? When I read this passage, passage, I cannot help but see 
the good news of Jesus Christ in this passage. Because out from the temple came this water of life. The temple represented the dwelling place of God. God's habitation in the Old Testament. But do we not know that out of the ultimate dwelling place of God, out of heaven, right, came Jesus. And he calls himself the living water. And he comes in our lives and he touches the Dead Sea areas of our lives. And what does Jesus, the living water, do? He brings his fresh water. He brings himself. He brings his blood. And he touches the dead area of our lives and brings resurrection. He touches the dead, suffering, hopeless areas of our lives. And he releases life in us. And in the beginning of the semester, I, said, I shared, I preached to us saying, Jesus' desire and his longing for us is the fullness of life. You guys remember that? Jesus is the living water who came down and he touched us. The Bible says we're dead in our transgressions. Enemies of Christ. You see, Jesus is the living water flowing from heaven. And this is the good news, but check this out. By the grace of God, you and I were brought from death to life. Because Jesus is our Savior. Amen? Check this out. We were brought from death to life because Jesus became our Savior. But it's not, it doesn't end from death to life. It's this. But it's not until Jesus becomes our Lord and our King where Jesus takes us from death to life to life-giving. Watch this. The fulfillment of this vision that he gets the fulfillment of Ezekiel's vision. You know how that vision is fulfilled? It's through you and me. Because guess what? Because of what Christ has done for us, I'm going to read this verse for us. It says this. The Bible says this. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And it says right here, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. The Bible says this. New Testament Christianity says this, that you and I are now temples of the living God. You and I host the presence of God now. When you became a believer, Holy Spirit came into you to dwell and live in you. You and I, not just individually, but us as a church, living stones, stone by stone, we became the temple of the living God. And guess what? When Jesus becomes our Lord, we don't just go from death to life. We go into life-giving. Life-giving. Because out of this temple, out of this temple right here, should flow rivers of living water. Going around this world, touching the Dead Sea areas of this world here, transforming and releasing life. Because the Bible says this, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. This is what it means, guys, to go deeper with him. 
It says right here, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. How many of you guys are tired? How many of you guys are wanting to live a life following Christ where wherever you go, you see transformation? How many of you guys want to be used by God Bringing the presence of God into your families, the Dead Sea areas of their lives, and bringing transformation. How many of you guys want to be that temple and walk into your workplaces in the future? Those who are graduating. How many of you guys want to step into your new workplace, enter this new season with this vision in mind? I want to be the temple of the living God, releasing fresh water wherever I go. How many of you guys want that? Because for me, I'm actually tired are living the life of a crowd. Because crowds don't release life. You know what they do? They suck life. You know why the Dead Sea is dead? Because it inflows water, but there's nowhere where it outflows water. So all it does is receive. You and I are the temple of the living God. And in verse 12, and in verse 12, It says this. The little detail. I love this. The little detail. When you look at the trees. Where it's teeming with life. It says they were growing leaves. For healing. The passage says that the trees were growing leaves. For healing. Right. And that's what our life should look like. When we follow Christ. I hope. You write down, 10 years from now, what kind of Christian do you want to look at? I hope you write down in there, somewhere in there, wherever I am, I want God to use me to bring healing. I want God to use me to bring physical healing. I want God to use me to bring spiritual healing, salvation. I want God to use me to bring emotional healing. I want to live out what we call Isaiah 61. Right? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Amen? So graduating students, students that are going back home, when I ask you again, do you have a vision for yourself? When you go back to your home churches, I want to propose this vision that Ezekiel had. When you go back to your churches, when you go back to whatever job you're going to, the Bible says that you and I, we are temples of the living God. And life should flow from us. And as this happens, I promise you, The Bible says that God is the author and perfecter of your life. The the Bible says that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. But guess what? It's going to take your active participation. It's going to take you calling Jesus your Lord. It's going to take you punching passivity in the face. It's going to take you actually taking steps of obedience. But for what? To be like Christ. To do what he did. To know Him more. And it's worth it. Like my life, 
here I am right now, but you know what? I'm excited for my next 10,000 10, cubits. I don't know what it's going to be. So for some of you guys, you as I'm preaching, you guys know what it is. Right? You know what the next 10,000 cubits. Yorban is going to you know, go to YWAM mission school for six months. She's taking a gap year. I'm sure that's another 10,000 cubits. But that's just the beginning. You know? Even as a small group leader is here, you know, like, you have taken steps to obey, you know, I'm sure you have gotten to know God's heart more, but you know, it's just the beginning. There's, there's more. There's another 10,000 cubits. The way that God's going to lead you. My prayer and, and my passion is this. Don't move sideways and don't go backwards. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worthy of following. And this is what we call adventure with him. Amen? Yeah. Can we all stand up? I want to close with this. I'm going to ask Michelle to come. And she's going to um, sing this song over us. And then we'll just finish with a prayer tonight. And he's, she's going to sing this song. And um, you can sing it if you want. But if you just want to connect with it. If it's going to help you to pray. I invite you to do so. And she's going to sing this song. It's called Over My Head. It's a song of trust in the Lord. So as she leads this song, um, I'm going to turn one of these lights on actually because it's kind of dark, right? I want us to just focus on the lyrics and just examine where you are. Ask the Lord. You're not here to be entertained by any of us. That's, that's the crowd mentality. You're here to be a disciple, to follow him, to engage with him. So I want to invite you to pray, meditate. Allow that tension to happen in your heart, whatever it is. Ask God to lead you 10,000 cubits at a time, or 1,000 cubits, I mean. And let this song minister to you.